time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. Now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin'. Let's begin. Hello, everybody. Good to have you with us again this week. It is Monday, May 10th, 2021. We say that for those of you listening on a downloaded basis. We are so grateful for those of you listening live. Again, this podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals. And we're so grateful to have you as our listener. Again, our commitment is to bring you timely information in an audio format that you can listen to anytime and anywhere. I'm excited about this week's topic. It's one of my favorite topics. And I have one of my favorite people joining us on the podcast. We're going to be talking about strategy, leadership, culture, and success, and what is the simple definition of those. And to talk about this today, we've got in the Hot Topic segment, Dr. Andy Shell, CEO, Managing Partner, and Co-Founder of Mortgage Banking Solutions and MBS Financial Services. So be sure to stay tuned to the second half of the podcast. Also, I want to say a special thank you to Industry Syndicate. They do a great job, folks, of helping promote podcasts that are effective and really informative about this industry, what's going on. Lots of podcasts. Check out industrysyndicate.com. Hey, listeners, have you heard about the social medium called Clubhouse? Well, on Wednesday, May 19th, one of my dear friends, Ralph Armenta at ComputerShare, is hosting a Clubhouse event titled the Jenny May Servicing Ticket. They're going to be discussing the new requirements. And we're going to be having one of my favorite guys on that. And that is my business partner, Mark Helm. will be talking about that, how to get approved. What happens if you do not get approved? And what are the alternatives? So very important topic going on. Check out the Clubhouse event. There's a link in it. If you want, you can email Ralph at ralph.armenta, A-R-M-E-N-T-A, at computershare.com for more details. Also, we'll put a link in the show notes for it. I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors. We have the Mortgage Bankers Association of America. We always say you need to become a member of the MBA, but you also have an access to have your voice heard when you're a member. But also, they've created it so for the non-members, they too can have their voice heard on the Hill through the Mortgage Action Alliance application. You can go to your smartphone, download the Mortgage Action Alliance app, and follow instructions, read what's there. I'm sure you'll agree with what the MBA is proposing that be stated, be enforced. If you do agree with it, then you just click some buttons and your voice is heard on the Hill. Literally goes directly to your appropriate representatives and you get to have your voice heard. How cool is that? So thank you, MBA, for what you're doing there. Also want to say thank you to Finastro, who's a sponsor. Their Fusion Bot solution is a great tool that helps maximize convenience with post-closing functions, including funding, collateral tracking, shipping, insuring, and guaranteeing. And there's a lot more that goes into this package. I encourage you to get a hold of a Finastra representative. Go to our advertisers page, click on there for more information, or get a hold of one of the sales representatives by starting with Dan Putney. By the way, we had Dan on as a guest on January 11th, and he'll give you some new updates on a survey they did. Very interesting and timely information, even more timely today in light of current market conditions. Also, there's two co-ops that we have as sponsors, Lenders One, as well as the The Mortgage Collaborative. We're thrilled to be part of both of these co-ops and encourage you to consider to do so 
as well. Also, the Community Mortgage Lenders Association of America. All these organizations work closely with the NBA to have a consolidated voice heard in the Hill in Washington, D.C. Also, I want to say a special thank you to Indicom. We had Linda Bomar on and Rachel Harris last week on May 3rd. Go back and listen to that podcast. Real interesting about what you could be doing through technology. And they've got some great services. I love their genius bot. There's a lot of things I love about what they're doing, but the genius bot is one that I see could help in this particular time. So check it out by going to our website, checking out our sponsorship page and clicking on Indicom. Also in Celerate, Josh Friend does a great job with leading edge technology where his mortgage expertise and how to connect with pre-designed campaigns come together to enhance empower engagement. Also, Knowledge Cube. Just was talking to Ken Perry. I love what these guys are doing on their website and their training. He's got a new platform. You've got to check out what they're doing. Check out the knowledgecoop.com. Also, Mobility Mortgage Market Intelligence and Modex, two of our sponsors that help you recruit based on facts of what people are really doing and producing rather than what they say they're closing and producing. So check out uh, Modex and Mobility RE, also known as Mobility Mortgage Market Intelligence. Great technology in these two companies. Also, I want to say a special thank you to Alice, Alan, and Matt for their contributions each and every week. Welcome, everybody. It is Monday, May 10th, and it is time for the Hot Topics segment on the Lickin' a Lending Podcast. I'm really honored to have a dear friend and someone I've known for many, many years and have come to respect at so many levels. We've got Dr. Andy Shell, he's CEO, managing partner, co-founder of Mortgage Banking Solutions and MBS Financial Services, also just known as MBS. We're going to be talking about strategy, leadership, culture, and success. Talking with Dr. Shell. Also, thank you, Dave. We'll refer to him as Andy after this point on. Andy, good to have you here. Hey, sir. Awesome to be with you, Dave. So excited to talk about leadership, strategy, uh-huh. culture, how they all fit together. Well, they all fit together. We should say, and a lot of people will recognize you because you were one of the originals on the podcast. And we're just so glad to have you back and sharing with us what's some really, really important content. And also, I want to put out, you've written a book. And I'm really excited to talk about that. But before we get into that, I've got to ask you, what was the inspiration to write this mini book on strategy, leadership, and culture? Well, thanks, Dave. So I've been known as the profit doctor for 20 years. So now that I actually have a PhD and am the Dr. Shell, the profit doctor, you really examine what the key to strategy, leadership, culture, and how that drives profitability. It all ties together is not just about the numbers. It is yeah. about the numbers, but it's not just about the numbers. It's not, it's not about cutting costs. It's about creating excitement and creating vitality, but there needs to be a a process behind it. And so I hear people talk about the terms strategy, leadership, and culture. And as a result of my studies in my uh, doctorate, I actually took a deep dive into all this stuff and learned a ton about it from PhD authors for the last hundred years. And so I'll hear someone say, hey, my strategy is to grow 20%. And I'll go, well, okay, how are you going to grow 20%? And they say, I'm going to try harder. Well, <laughs> that's not really a strategy. A strategy right. has purpose and precision and clarity. And so, Dave, that's why I felt it was important to get this stuff out because the definitions are out there. They're defined. I'm not creating any of this. I'm retelling it a little bit toward a mortgage lending slant. But for decades, scholars have been talking about this. Business scholars, behavioral scientists, people with doctorates have been scouring the landscape to understand these topics. And so that's what I've done is I've included 
their concepts and their conversation about these topics into this book that hopefully will be impactful to mortgage lenders to be able to understand how to put all these pieces together. Well, one of the things you do so well as the profit doctor is you have always taken complex things, Andy, and you have a gift at making them understandable. So what is the simple definition to strategy, leadership, and culture? Well, thanks, Dave. Strategy is simply the map to the destination. So where are you going to go? What's the route? What's the path? Leadership then is the guide along the path. So like pretend you're walking through the jungle and you need a guide to get you to where you would like to go. And you want for that guide to be able to be trustworthy and to be able to help you be successful on this trip. So you want them to be a coach that is encouraging and also provides direction and how to avoid the rattlesnake pits and not get bitten by a spider. And then you also want this guide to be able to make good decisions because you're trusting your life to them. So in that analogy, when we come out to real world, we're not really trusting our life, but we're trusting our livelihood to yeah. our leader. Yeah. So we want our leader to be a good coach, a good leader, guider, director, be informed about the choices. And then ultimately culture then is how the group interacts together, how the leader and the group treat each other is culture. It's fairly simple. It's kind of the end of the result, but that's simply it, Dave. It's the simple definition. Well, it's a complicated topic, but oftentimes the answer is in simplicity, Andy. Let's talk a little bit about your book. You have a book that is excellent. It's um, nearly 30 pages long. If you could get in, let's dissect some of the content that you have in this excellent book. Well, thanks, Dave. So let's start with strategy. So again, I said strategy is the map, but it's much more than just the map. So again, the analogy of the guide in the jungle. So we're going to go on this journey. Well, we need to know not only which way are we going, but we need to know, do we have the right provisions for the trip? Are the people on the trip able to successfully make the trip? Do they have the skill set to be successful? Do we have the right materials to be successful? So all of this is strategy. Strategy identifies the future of a company. It identifies where's the company going. And that includes, it's not just, I want to be, I want to increase 20% every year for the next 10 years. It's about the resources and the capabilities that are required in order to deliver in mortgage lending effective service within the organization to meet the market demands successfully. And all these fit together so that you ultimately drive profit. And by generating a profit, you're able to have sustainable profitability. And all this is a result of the strategic activity. So it gets a little wordy, but there are defined terms around strategy that I wanted to jump into real quick. Everybody's yeah. heard of these vision, mission, values. And, and simply vision is just where you're going. Mission is what you do. And values are how you behave as you're implementing your strategic objectives. And this is what forms the culture. There's a very, very strong connection between values and culture. And this all forms the foundation of what the company is going to become. But it's important to realize that strategy is more than just mission values. It also includes planning documents. So there's parts to strategy that include paperwork, so to speak. So mm -hmm. there's a sales forecast or a marketing plan. The marketing plan defines how are you going to generate 
sales activity. So you need to know what that's going to be. And based on your marketing plan, you then create a financial forecast. I know that anytime I say, well, you got to have a financial forecast, people's eyes roll back in their head because that's the last thing that they want to have to do is count pennies. But like I tell you, if you follow the academic literature and you look at the success of other companies, which is where all this comes from. So all these PhDs, they evaluated companies and ran statistical analysis of the company's success to identify what were the things they did that made them successful. And one of the things that they all have are the marketing plan, the financial forecast. So it's it's as painful as it might feel. It is as important as, as vision, mission, values. It's what drives helping you make decisions about your next step. And I'll try to wrap this up on some of the strategy parts, Dave, because I know it gets boring. But another really important part of strategy is organizational design. And that includes what's the best leadership style fit for the organization. So I'll give you an example about organizational design. And I know you've seen this your entire career. So let's just pretend that we're looking at growing a business. And so we decided, okay, tell you what, we're going to buy a software company and we're going to get a bunch of Google programmers and we're also going to buy a nuclear plant. So how we manage a group of programmers who have a lot of freedom and a lot of ability to define how they work, we're going to manage them very differently than we're going to manage a nuclear plant. At a programming group, we have very low control. But in a nuclear plant, we have very high control. So there's these distinct business structures that exist within mortgage lending because we've got a sales environment and we have an operations environment that's highly driven by regulatory design, just like a nuclear plant. So mortgage lending is one of the unique industries where you've got vastly different organizational dynamics within the same company. And yet we're we're trying to manage this whole thing as a business, but we have to realize that how we manage it may be distinctly different based on the needs of the groups. So it's never one size fits all. That's also why you'll see some of the really successful companies have two people at least. You'll have a salesperson that's leading growing sales environment, and you'll have a, a detailed person that's running the operations group. And that's model is seen over and over in mortgage lending. And all this fits together and we're going to measure the activity. And ultimately, the key point that I wanted to bring out is that the CEO of a mortgage company must be able to interact on a cross-platform design. So the mortgage CEO is a leader, but they have to be able to interact on these vastly different styles and be successful managing both the low control and high control environment. And now this gets into span of control, which is another interesting topic, but we're all still talking about strategy. Dave, there's one more thing about strategy I wanted to point out. And all this stuff, we're barely into the topic. And we've already stumbled across a couple of things that people might not want to do because it's more fun to just talk about the vision. Well, if you don't do these planning parts, you'll never get your vision. And part of that includes an internal assessment. And actually, yep. a SWOT is uh, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. The strengths and weaknesses relate to your internal environment. What your company does well, where your weaknesses are, and then opportunities and threat are external factors like government buying up all the MBSs and forcing rates down. So the whole thing fits together because you've got to identify what you're good at. And this can be really challenging because 
people don't like to be honest about their own capabilities, but this is where we then are able to identify how we're going to get to where we're going to go. And that's where we get to strategic objectives and then implementation. And everybody is very happy because we're implementing, but that just creates another set of hurdles because now we got to deal with change management, which is where we're getting people to do something differently and people don't like change. So now we got a whole nother hurdle we got to deal with. And then all this comes together with what's called the feedback loop. So all strategic implementations that are effectively completed result in this iterative process where a feedback loop, where you reassess perpetually, you're always checking to see, did it work? Does it make sense? Is it the right thing to do? And all that is strategic planning. And every mortgage CEO needs to understand this stuff. And it's a validated strategy. You go into it in depth. There's some great content in that chapter in your book. And you're talking about people and you're talking about personality types. And when you look at the demands on both ends of the spectrum, the detail side, the operational aspects, as well as the relational sales aspects, it takes a unique person to be able to pull that together, which is really getting into authentic leadership. Share with us your thoughts and what you've learned about authentic leadership, as I like it. Thanks, Dave. So this harkens back to a really famous writer, a fellow by the name of Dr. Bernard Bass, and he did a very extensive analysis of leadership. His book's been out for years now, but he talks about all the different dynamics around leadership style. And at the end of the day, the bottom line is a leader is a person, and a leader is a person that's going to be leading a group of people. So ultimately, leadership is responsible for implementing the strategic plan. So it's not just random. Leadership has a purpose. There's a defined set of objectives that are going to be accomplished by the leader under the leader's direction. So the leader first must embrace the strategy. And this is where people sometimes struggle. The leader has to embrace the values. And so this is where hiring is so important because we need to make sure we hire people that fit the values, not the other way around. But a person has a personality and their personality impacts their behavioral traits. So and behavioral traits will align with some better than with others, but you can't ignore the fact that there are personalities and personality traits. And so personality traits will affect leadership style. Now, that doesn't mean that a gregarious person can't lead a detailed group or that a quiet person can't lead a sales group because they're learned tactics. But it's foolish to ignore the fact that personality doesn't exist because it does. Personality exists. Behavioral traits are driven often by personality traits. So it's important to have the leader that's in place that aligns with the organizational design for the tasks that are going to be accomplished. Because at the end of the day, we want for the employees to be connected, to feel appreciated, to feel heard, to be validated. And here's the key, though. We want the employees to be validated in the way they want to be validated. Not necessarily a one-way street, but the platinum rule, I call it, do unto others the way they want to be done unto. So we want to validate employees the way that they receive validation. And that can be vastly different from person to person, but people like to be appreciated and happy and appreciated people are often happy people and happy people are more productive. So a couple more points on leadership. And I know that you do this so well. So leaders need to be able to accomplish several tasks. They need to be able to inspire. Mm -hmm. They need to be able to listen and inform. 
They need to be able to encourage and teach and then orchestrate the activities. So that list of six things in and of itself is very difficult because sometimes the inspirational person might not be able to orchestrate or the the person that's great at encouraging might not be great at teaching. But these things can be learned. These things don't operate in a vacuum. And these things aren't driven just because of how God created you, but because of what you can learn and how you interact with others. So you have to be able to do that to get people excited about the vision. But you need to be able to listen to people because that's how you develop trust. And by having a staff that trusts you will help them hear the inspiration to accomplish the vision. But you also need to know the staff because in order to accomplish the objectives, you need to be able to evaluate the team's ability to accomplish the objectives and encourage those as best they can and teach those who need additional instruction. And ultimately, as you orchestrate this whole process, you might actually have to replace people in certain positions. All this is part of leadership in addition to measuring the output, measuring the results, make data-driven decisions about all the dynamics that are affected by the market and how it's impacting the organization. And all of this is also going to be perpetuating culture by encouraging the staff and exhibiting the firm's values. So this whole notion of being able to listen and encourage circles into one of the next important elements about finding leaderships with uh, self-awareness is called. Yeah. Which really gets us into emotional intelligence. You're looking at a good leader who's working a good strategy in order to be effective, really does have to be self-aware. And also, there's another aspect you mentioned in the book. I can't wait for you to get into it. Talk about emotional intelligence or emotional IQ. This is a tough one, Dave, because sometimes it just hurts to look in the mirror. So emotional intelligence ultimately really is the ability to process your own emotions as well as the ability to identify the emotions in others. So it's both know how you're feeling and why you're feeling, and also see how your feelings are impacting others and see how others are behaving as well. So this emotional intelligence is all about self-awareness. And self-awareness helps to deal with rationality and decision-making because when we get all wrapped up in our emotion, we can make emotional decisions that seem right at the time but we can have tremendous regret because of certain decisions we make. So if we always say that, we're going to look at our data-driven decisions and use our logic filters that I'm going to talk about in a minute to make the decision. So we never make decisions just on the emotion, but we make decisions with the data as well. We're almost always going to be more effective consistently. So the way that the scholars have addressed this whole notion of emotional intelligence is they talk about self-awareness. So people who are are self-aware are not blinded by self-deception. And when you're self-aware, then you have the ability to build trust. You have the ability to have these authentic conversations with employees that are bi-directional, where you listen and ask questions. And I got to tell you, it's sometimes just the little things that become the big things that can really affect culture. So successful companies are able to share common traits that include obviously the strategic plan, but also the leadership dynamic and the fact that you are legitimately appreciated and the leadership cares about you. 
So we can't really use these words, self-awareness, self-deception. People don't know what that means. But as coaching leaders, it's the ability to when that person's yelling at you to not react irrationally, but no one likes to get yelled at, but it's to be able to have a basis for making right. uh, the decisions. Well, that really kind of opens up into another topic that I really enjoy listening to you talk about. In fact, you're one that introduced the topic of decision theory. Explain to our audience what decision theory is. Sure. Well, this actually gets pretty complicated pretty quickly. It's outlined in the book with examples. But at the core of it, critical thinking involves what we call the double movement of reflective thought. And in the double movement of reflective thought, that means we're using inductive reasoning and deductive reasoning to reach a conclusion. Inductive reasoning helps us explore concepts, while deductive reasoning helps us reach a conclusion. And both of these two things work together. This all came out of a book in 1910 by John Dewey, where he was trying to figure out how do people think and how do people reach validated conclusions. And so the thing about inductive reasoning is all we're doing is making a single observation. And like say, for example, we own a grocery store and Mary's a customer and Mary likes green cans of coffee. So therefore we say, well, then all customers like green cans of coffee. Well, of course we would never say that, but that was an extreme example. The, The tricky thing about inductive reasoning is it can feel Right. So I cover this more in the book. It gets fusing pretty quickly. So I'll give you an example of deductive reasoning. So deductive reasoning would be, and you have to think about it like concentric circles. So if you look at the men in the NBA are tall, so that's the big circle. So anybody inside that NBA players are tall circle would then also be tall. So we can say men in the NBA are tall. Kobe was in the NBA. Therefore, Kobe was tall because the small premise was inside the big premise. Anyway, it, it gets it's difficult. It makes your head hurt. I spend a lot of time working on this. But at the end of the day, the thing I can tell you is that decisions must rely on empirical data, not just how we feel about it at the time. And there are times when leaders must decide with incomplete decisions. When you do have to do that, if you'll rely on the decision tools that are listed in the book, it will really help. There's just a brilliant writer, a lady by the name of Dr. Janine Leidica, has written a bunch of stuff on decision thinking. And that's included in the book as well to help people learn to think and figure out really what is critical thinking. So that's why I included this as well. That's yeah, a great topic. And it's so important to understand. How does all of this relate to culture? You probably should start with what is culture and how does it all relate to culture? Well, it's actually simpler than people think that it is. Culture is how people feel when they walk in the door. Culture is how people feel when they see their boss walking toward them. So just as strategy is the destination and leadership helps guide the path as being a trustworthy coach that's informed, culture is how we all talk to each other, how one employee treats the other, how the leader treats the employee. And this whole notion of culture, it's said to be formed through the interplay of strategy and leadership, but it's about that interaction between leaders and employees who interact together to accomplish the strategic objectives. That's how they treat each other is what culture becomes. And it's through the implementation of the strategic values that we get individual behavior. The challenge we have is when people 
operate outside of the values defined in the strategy documents. So from incubation to maturity, forming a stable corporate culture takes years. And the bigger the company is, the less likely culture is going to change. But if you're a smaller company with not very many employees, the possibility of having culture changed is greater. So employees are going to react to how they're treated. If employees are mistreated or ignored, then they're not going to trust the leaders. If the leaders have outbursts of yelling and other divergent behavior with employees, then that's going to lead to a culture that's not vibrant. That's going to lead to a culture of oppression even. So there's this whole issue that we need to be real about when we think about our offices and we think about mortgage lending and we think about adding a new branch. When you add a new branch, people seem to always focus on how much volume, what kind of margins, how's it going to work? There's no talk about a cultural alignment. If you step back and look at a merger and acquisition transaction, that's the first thing you talk about is philosophical alignment. So when a mortgage company adds the next branch, Culture ought to be the first thing you talk about. Values ought to be the first thing you talk about. Because if you bring in a branch that doesn't align with your culture, it can be disruptive and completely destroy your culture. It's like growing a plant. It's susceptible to influences from its environment. Too much water, not enough water, too much sun. All of these things affect culture. So we're constantly thinking about it, constantly focusing on it making certain that all the pieces are fitting together. And and that's why it's so important in the hiring process. You start by focusing on getting people that fit in a cultural hiring process. And I'm getting a little ahead of myself there, Dave. No, I understand. I was going to ask you, why is culture so important? I mean, it seems like the most obvious thing in the world, but a lot of people really struggle with missing it. And especially when it comes to bringing on branches, they look at the numbers and what this could bring in. And they miss the biggest thing. What kind of disruption could this bring is one of the biggest important topics. And then you talked about M&A. The first thing we should look at is that. But how often does that happen? And sadly, not near enough. That's right. So if you think about culture, well, here's a good example. Southwest Airlines hiring practices. Mm -hmm. When somebody goes to apply for Southwest and you go into the office, they start evaluating you from the moment you put your foot on the floor in the office. They measure how do you talk to the receptionist? How do you interact with someone who offers to get you a glass of water? How do you interact with the interviewing person? And if there's a difference in how you treat people between talking to the receptionist and talking to the manager, you're not getting hired because it's about embracing personally the values of Southwest. You don't behave the way Southwest wants you to because that's how they tell you to. You align with the behavior to begin with. And that's where hiring is so important. You've got to screen people that you're hiring for cultural alignment first. In fact, if you were to find people who are adept, if you find people who are culturally aligned, they intrinsically embrace your values, and they have a strong intellect, you can pretty much teach them what you need to teach them. And in fact, the opposite is true, too. If you were to hire somebody that's awesome underwriter or very knowledgeable underwriter, but they've got a toxic personality, that would be the wrong hire. They might be great for a short term, but they're ultimately going to be cancerous in the organization. That is just so true. As you're writing this book, what is the most difficult aspect 
to the topics you covered? And where do you think most people struggle? I've got a good guess, but I'm really interested in your answer. All of these components, the strategy, the leadership, the culture, the dynamics within leadership, it's easy to say and hard to do. Strategic planning to begin with means that you've got to do more than just talk about it. One of the things that, let's say someone gets through the process of mission, vision, values, that's not that difficult, but then marketing plan, financial plan, organizational design. Let's say you get through that part. Well, how capable is your organization? Are you actually capable of achieving the the plan? So that's where the SWOT analysis comes in. And this is where it fails because nobody wants to know their baby's ugly. And so (laughs) it's a very unpleasant process to be honest about your own weaknesses. And honestly, Dave, that's one of the things that I valued so much in you when we first started working together, what, 15 years ago, is that you complimented me so perfectly in your ability to be articulate and inspiring. So I love learning from you about that. As I did enjoy learning about that, because it's that balance of personalities, talents, perspectives that I think worked so well and still works well in our friendship and how we collaborate. Exactly. But part of that is the ability to be self-aware about your organization. Being honest about your own capability is really, really essential for this to all come together and make sense. And here's a note about planning. Nobody has a crystal ball. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I hear people in mortgage lending say this frequently. Well, I don't know what my volume is going to be, so why plan? I can't plan. You know, it's attributed to Winston Churchill that failing to plan is a plan to fail. So what if you're wrong? We know you're going to be wrong. Nobody's going to be perfect in their forecast, but it's going to be your best estimate. It's going to be a way to anticipate the outcomes and anticipate the changes so you're able then to adapt and adjust and be ultimately successful. The other challenge people face is they don't consider the emotional effect of change. Even if you just move the desks around, if you move where the coffee pot is, if you change how someone does something, or or this one, this is a huge one and people underestimate it, change the computer system. Go from one LOS to another, boom, it is so underestimated. The process to get people to accept the change is most enhanced by participation. When you let people participate in what's happening in the decision process, in the next steps forward, they are much more likely to accept the change and help move forward into the future successfully. Yeah, there's so much great content in this book. And every time you and I get together, whether it be barbecue and we talk over these things or here on the podcast, the time just flies. But this is available in great detail in your book. How can people get a copy of this and how can they get in touch with you to discuss it? Well, Dave, thanks for asking. I have a request form on my website drshell.com, S-C-H-E-L-L. So there'll be a link on Lincoln on Lending, but it's drshell.com forward slash white paper dash request. Click on that and you fill out the form and you'll then push the download button and you'll have the paper. If you want to talk more about it, I love talking about this stuff. Just shoot me an email and we'll schedule a time to talk about it. It's so exciting to see the ability of mortgage lenders to come up with a design that can help them be successful. We've got declining margins. We've got declining volumes. What are we going to do about it? Well, you shouldn't have to guess. That's what the whole point of a plan is. I look forward to speaking with anybody about this. 
Well, that's great. And one of the things I love most about you, Andy, is you've got a great heart. You really care about people. You really care about company success. It really troubles you when you see things not working well, which is, again, a lot of the motivation for you to do what you do. I think it's so amazing. It's a gift to take the complex and make it easily understood. And that's what you do so successfully, whether it be in the accounting area, the finance area, now in leadership and uh, management overall direction of a company. Excellent job. Thank you so much. Appreciate you coming on and sharing the contents of your latest book. I got the feeling this is, there's going to be more coming because you are, there's so much in you to share. And I'm thrilled to have you on sharing with our listening audience what you have here. Encourage you to get the book, folks. Go onto our website, click on the links and go out there and just get a hold of Andy. Just call them directly. Just get a hold of them through their website. And uh, we appreciate you, Andy, being here. Thank you, Dave. Folks, we've had as our guest, Dr. Andy Shell, better known as the Profit Doctor, both on this podcast as well as around the industry. If you haven't caught one of his webinars at the MBA, you need to do so. Andy is the CEO, managing partner, co-founder of Mortgage Banking Solutions and MBS Financial Services. It's been good to have you here, folks. A special thank you to our sponsors, as well as to all the regulars that are on the podcast. Thank you so much. Have a great week. Look forward to having you back here next week. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.